0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Does human history go further back than mainstream archaeology would have us believe? What happened during at least a million years of human prehistory that's empty of everything else? Why don't the intellectual powers that be want us to know?
1: Hello and welcome to The 972nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, uh, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and that was Paul. And today we bring you a guest we haven't connected with in a very long time.
0: Coming to us via Skype today for his first appearance on the show in 11 years is Michael Cremo, an international authority on human antiquity appropriately known as the Forbidden Archaeologist. For over 27 years, he has been digging up documented, credible findings that mainstream archaeologists don't want us to know about, discoveries in the fossil record that tell a completely different story from Darwinian evolution. Michael is a research associate of the Bhaktivedanta Institute, specializing in the history and philosophy of science. He is a member of the World Archaeological Congress and the European Association of Archaeologists and is an expert on archaeological evidence for human, extreme human antiquity. He is the author or co-author, released five books that I know of. His website, com.
1: So, Michael Cremo, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Good to be back. Good to be invited back. Oh, yeah, it's o- always a pleasure, and especially on such a fascinating topic, and I, I think... I, I don't. I don't know if I can speak for you, Dad. I think it is probably one of the most important things that we we, we just don't discuss that often. Oh, no, I agree. Because yeah. you know you need to know where you came from to know where you're going.
0: Well, there aren't that many people who can discuss it.
1: No, not we at all. We have one
0: of them with us. So.
1: Exactly. So I guess uh, we'll we'll hop right into it and uh, and let's just begin with some of the background on this whole subject. Is what we have been taught about human history wrong? uh yes a, a
2: great deal of what we have been taught about human history is is wrong in the sense that uh we don't really truly understand how long we have been on this planet and that's a, important it's an important thing to understand because it has implications that go Uh, far beyond the stones and bones that archaeologists and other scientists normally look at. If we've been here, as I believe we have since the very beginning of the history of life on Earth, that means we need new explanations for human origins. And I think those new explanations are going to involve principles other than strictly Materialistic principles; it's going to involve things that fall into the realm of consciousness and what we call the paranormal.
0: Okay, that was twenty-five words or less. Uh, now I still pick up your your wonderful ponderous book, Forbidden Archaeology, which I believe was the the, the first and one of the first you co-authored, and. Um, can you fill, it's been so long, can you fill in our listeners on some of the most significant discoveries that led you to the, to the view that uh, archaeologists span mainstream just isn't doing the job?
2: Well, uh, I'll, I'll say first of all that I was inspired to do this research by my studies in the ancient Sanskrit writings of India especially the Puranas, which are the Vedic histories. And they contain accounts of human civilizations, human populations that existed on Earth many millions of years ago. Modern scientists believe something quite different. They tell us something quite different, namely that humans like us first appeared on this planet less than 300,000 years ago. And before that, there were no humans like us on this planet. There were only more primitive ape-like human ancestors. And before that, different primitive mammals and reptiles. They, they have presented an entirely different picture of human origins. So... I I began to wonder are these accounts found in this ancient wisdom tradition and not only just the Indian uh, tradition but you, you can find it in many of the world's great wisdom traditions from ancient times, this idea that humans have been around since the very beginning of the history of life on earth and Uh, I began to wonder, well, is there perhaps some factual evidence for that, or is it just some mythology that was invented by the authors of these old texts? So that's what got me looking into the history of archaeology. Of course, if you look in the current textbooks, you're not going to find any reports of evidence for humans existing very far back in time, millions of years. But if you go beyond the textbooks, as I did, I had a suspicion that if I looked into the original reports of archaeologists, geologists, other scientists digging into the earth, I might find a few examples of discoveries of a very ancient human presence. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do eight days or eight weeks of research, write a little pamphlet about it, and go on to some other interesting topic. But as I got into it, the eight weeks turned into eight months, and the eight months turned into eight years of research because one case just led to another and then another and another until I had enough cases, enough information to fill up a 900-page book called Forbidden Archaeology, which some people call Forbidding (laughs) Archaeology because it's kind of heavy to pick up.
0: Indeed it is, yeah.
2: But I, I've been surprised, however, that when we once we were thinking, uh, Richard Thompson, my co-author, and I, well, this 900-page book is going to be off-putting to a lot of people. They, they're they're going to think, how can we go through 900 pages of accounts of human bones, human footprints, human artifacts, going back? millions tens of millions even hundreds of the millions of years and so we brought out a shorter edition an abridged edition of the book but we found that the longer edition the original 900 page edition sold far better than the shorter edition because it just seemed that the people who are interested in this topic Want to know every single bit of information about it. So, uh, um, they went for the bigger book. But basically, the book involves two things. Showing that there are scientists who have discovered human bones, human artifacts, human footprints, far older than the current theories allow. And then there becomes a question, well, what happened to this evidence? If it was originally published in the peer-reviewed scientific literature, why isn't it in the textbooks today? And that gets us into the topic of knowledge filtration, which is something that, Historians and philosophers of science have understood for a long time, namely that the theoretical preconceptions that scientists may have influence how they treat evidence. Evidence that conforms to the current dominant consensus passes through this, <coughs> excuse me, uh-huh passes through this knowledge filter quite easily, whereas evidence that radically contradicts the current dominant consensus tends to be filtered out.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of a rather controversial find uh, in the Paluxy River bed of Texas, which has dinosaur footprints, fossilized footprints, of course, uh, walking alongside... Uh, not uh, hopefully not at the same time, human footprints. And uh, again, that's controversial, but can you talk a bit about that that sort of thing? And there's also one from Utah that's quite striking with a a human foot with with a a shoe or or a sandal or something found in in ridiculously ancient uh, rock strata. Can you... Yeah, well, those are
2: two interesting cases. The Pilexi River prints human footprints alongside dinosaur footprints I didn't include those in forbidden archaeology although I knew about them at the time and the reason for that was that the original discoverer of them Dr. Henry Morris Jr. well he was the original scientifically trained person who reported them uh, he, after some time, withdrew his claims about them and said, I thought they were human footprints next to the dinosaur footprints, but they're actually not Or he, human footprints. They appeared to him to be uh, erosion patterns. In other words, not footprints, but just some eroded feature of the rock that happened to look like a footprint. Hmm. So, On that basis, I, I didn't include them in forbidden archaeology. But later, a, a graduate student of archaeology from Texas got in touch with me and ask, is there anything I can do to further your research in this forbidden archaeology topic? Because I just think it's fascinating. And I often get letters from archaeology students and universities who say similar things. You know, they're, they're just amazed that there's this whole body of evidence that, uh, they, don't find in their textbooks at the university.
0: Yeah. So, so it, we're dealing with um, a sort of cyclical history, perhaps, rather than linear, in the sense that, you know, when we sit in the classroom, okay, you started in, in, with uh, the stone tools all the way up to today, and then you have power tools. But there are many indigenous peoples, and there is some evidence uh, in, from the realm that you've been discussing, Michael, that uh, we have gone from stone tools to power tools several times in the history of the the long, largely empty history of humanity. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. This idea of cyclical time is something that uh, the ancient Greeks and Romans accepted, the Egyptians, uh, the civilizations in China and India, in the americas you know people talk about the mayan calendar which is a a cyclical calendar with vast cycles of time during which humans are said to have existed so yes we we do have that kind of conception and this means, in one sense, if you really follow out the implications of it, that uh, there's not really a creation account. Because, according to that, this cyclical concept of time, the human form is manifested again and again and again and again in endless cycles. So it's never really created. It kind of always exists. It's just sometimes manifest and sometimes not.
1: That is really interesting, and I, I want to take a, a quick step back to academia real really quickly. We, we were discussing a little bit before the show Um, our 19th century German friends who essentially threw a monkey wrench into everybody's (laughs) world view Um, and it's really important because I I think how we we view the world around us has changed a lot in a very short period of time and it kind of you you can blame Rene Descartes if you'd like with the idea of dualism coming in and basically making everything kind of very black and white but um, one of the things that I really think hindered the study of history were, well, two things. One, trying to turn history into a science, which if, I mean, even Aristotle said that you can't know the essence of events, right? But they, they tried really hard to do that and distill it into sort of a mathematical formula, a plus b equals c. But the other thing that really kind of, kind of shot us in the foot so to speak was basically saying that this this phrase of all history is the story of class warfare and all of it is seizing the means of production and all of it is political and it became the focus of history I mean even till today arguably that all of it is political that it's like that's all it is but I mean arguably it's based on how we experience the world now I mean every every you hear people say statements that all of this is political and it's it's uh which is probably not wrong, but I would argue that politics today is just another form of religion, in my opinion. But I digress. So, really, from here, I, I think what what we what I, I would like to get your opinion on is how has our view of history changed, and has that hindered how we view these archaeological finds?
2: Uh well, I, I think you've hit on a, a very important topic and it takes you into some very deep and fundamental areas. You know, our whole conception of time is very important in this. Uh, we were talking about cyclical time. Well, the opposite of cyclical time, not the opposite, but Different from cyclical time is the idea of linear progressive time. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is very fundamental because if you have the idea of linear progressive time, you're going to come up with an idea that things begin at a certain point and they begin in a simple state. And then they progress and develop. And finally, it'll all come to an end. And basically, that was the time concept of, uh, say, the Judeo-Christian concept. They had a linear concept of time where there's a single creation event where God manifests the universe and then manifests the creatures in it with the human beings being the last ones to appear, basically. And they are in a fallen state and they have to be educated and reformed by science. Well, in the modern worldview, but in in the religious, the original religious worldview, they have to be reformed and delivered and then there's a final judgment and the whole thing is wrapped up. Modern science basically adopted that same linear progressive time view where you have the universe coming into being through a big bang not God creation event but still it's a creation event and there's a, a linear progressive development of life forms starting from you know the simple uh, single-celled creatures developing into multicellular creatures and then human beings finally and they're in a distressed and fallen condition they have to be delivered by science and technology and eventually the big bang universe will turn into the big crunch and there'll be a an end of, of the process. So, although you often hear about in the West, in the United States, a conflict between science and religion, basically they're operating with the same principles, this linear progressive sense of time, which is also necessary for the kinds of historical understanding that you you were speaking about whereas a cyclical concept involves a a different set of assumptions about about time and our place in it
0: okay um can we take our break a little early because we got a ton of listener questions sure okay We'll take our break a little early. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM and 995 FM in New England's chilly Blackstone River Valley with our great and fascinating guest Michael Cremo today. We'll be right back, so stick with us.
1: Christmas in New York. The Northern Rhode Island Council of the Arts is hosting a bus trip to New York City on Saturday, December 17th. We'll get you to New York and the day is yours. See the sites, visit a museum, see a show, whatever you like, the day is yours. Tickets are $90, and the bus will leave from the St. Annats Cultural Center parking lot at 6.30 a.m. For more information or to reserve your seats, call Dominic at 401-447-0823.
0: Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, welcome back to W O N A M FM Radio and Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benito. Let's get back to our guest Michael Cremo, and Ben, if you would be so kind, we have a question from Lauren from Connecticut.
1: Sure thing, and Lauren writes to us, uh, Hi Paul and Ben, Uh, Greg Braden claims his research has revealed that some of our genes appear to have been... in intentionally cut, rearranged, and fused together sometime around 200,000 and 300,000 years ago. According to Greg Braden's research, uh, this crea- created genetically modern humans who haven't changed much at all since then, thus nullifying Darwin's theory that we evolved from primates. Uh, has Michael found in his research any corroboration of this alleged willful gene manipulation? If so, does Michael have any thoughts on who might have done this?
2: Uh, yes, I, I do have some thoughts. Uh, there are many people beyond Greg Braden who I- accept this idea that basically evolution went on pretty much as modern science describes it up to the point of maybe two or three hundred thousand years ago at which time there was some... Um, intervention that by some intelligent being whether you can call it gods or extraterrestrials but whoever it was they uh manipulated the human genome and that's how we get humans like us so uh the principle I accept I, I would have a, a, a different picture of the timeline, however. I think the intervention, whatever it was, occurred far more far longer back in time than two or three hundred thousand years ago. I believe it occurred right in the very beginning in in the sense that the human form, including its genetic structure, was uh, not a product of random evolution by mutations and things like that. It is intelligently designed and has always been like that. So I think, yes, there, there has been some intelligent intervention necessary to produce the human form, and not just the human form, but the forms of all species of life. Uh, they, If you try to go back to the very beginnings of the history of life on Earth according to modern science, And you just assume that the first living thing forms by a combination of chemicals in the Earth's early oceans or bodies of water. And somehow or other, they develop this DNA replication system. How that happened is totally unexplained. So just to even have... This DNA replication system in in any organism, be it human or animal or fish or insect or plant, is unexplained by modern science, how that exactly arose. Hmm. So I would say the basic principle, yes, that there had to be some intelligent intervention to produce the genome of us, of other kinds of living things is a fact. If you go through a list, you search on the web, for example, for unsolved problems in biology, you'll find at the top of the list, in most cases, the origin of the DNA replication
1: system.
0: Okay, we have a question from Phil in Savannah, Georgia.
1: Yes, and uh, Phil writes to us, um, Dear Dr. Cremo, I read this fascinating quote attributed to you. Uh, can you elaborate on this a bit on Paul and Ben's show? And the quote goes as, We have not evolved upward from apes on this planet, as modern science tells us, but uh, that we have devolved from an original spiritual position in higher levels of reality.
2: Yes, well so that is something that i said about my book human devolution a vedic alternative to darwin's theory now when i published the book forbidden archaeology people read it and they asked me you've got all this archaeological evidence that contradicts the current evolutionary theories of human origins so, what are you going to put in its place? You don't talk about that in your book Forbidden Archaeology and it was a that was deliberate because basically, I wanted people to just look at the archaeological evidence and draw whatever conclusion they thought was necessary. And of course one conclusion is that, well, we need new explanations for human origins. And what are those explanations going to be? Well, well, leave it up to the readers of the book to figure it out for themselves. And I'll put my answer in another book, which was Human Devolution. And in that book I propose that before we even ask the question, where did human beings come from, we should first of all ask the question, what is a human being? In other words, we should know what it is we're trying to explain. Exactly. Mm. Otherwise, how do we know if we've explained it or not? So many scientists today will say that, while we're just machines made of molecules. That's what we are. There's nothing more to it than than that. But that leaves out, the question of consciousness. Where does that come from? It's something we all have. I'm conscious. You're conscious. We wouldn't be having this conversation if we weren't conscious. Mm. It's, it's the most fundamental fact of our existence, but it's unexplained. Nobody has yet explained how you can get consciousness from Chemicals interacting in the brain. So that suggests to me <clears throat> that a human organism or any organism is not just a purely material combination of chemical elements. There's more to it than that. There is the conscious self. There is the mind which has some very unusual powers. Uh, Some people call them paranormal powers, like remote viewing and things like that. But then there's, beyond just the powers and abilities that the mind and the intelligence may display, there is the bare fact of consciousness, which we all experience. Doesn't require any belief or any, anything other than just being aware of what's actually going on. So, uh, I would say consciousness can exist apart from matter, apart from the brain, apart from the body, and that's ultimately who we really are. We are conscious beings who have devolved into the world of matter and become covered by the lower material energies. And this is the opposite of what modern science says. They say matter is fundamental and consciousness somehow or other develops from matter. Whereas I'm saying consciousness is fundamental and matter develops from it.
0: Very good quantum uh, physics in the modern sense, I think. Well, uh, before we get into another question, uh, I wanted to take a moment, uh, Michael, to to talk about your books, your website, and where people can find out more and get the books.
2: A good place to start is my website, mcremo.com, m-c-r-e-m-o.com, and they can find information about my books there and uh, we have a special offer now that if anyone purchases a copy of my latest published work called My Science My Religion they will if they publish if they purchase that book from my website they'll have the opportunity if they wish to receive a Free copy of Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the uh, books from India that have inspired my research and work in different topics like archaeology, human origins, and cosmology. So, uh, that's a good place to start. They would also find there an interview link where they would have seen the announcement for this show or there's a a, a, another link where they could find out about upcoming speaking events and things like that so mcremo.com is a good place to start
0: okay now, we have a question. Uh, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't have a question from uh, Peter Shelley in Bogota, Colombia.
1: Yes, and Peter writes to us. He's got two questions, so we'll start with the, uh, the first one because that is a very good place to start. Um, and Peter writes, wouldn't pushing back the origins of modern man extremely have conflicts with the uh, concept that planetary c- catastrophes wiped out the dinosaurs and giant mammals? Um, according
2: to the Vedic cyclical view, it's not contradictory. It's admitted that there are periodic catastrophes that occur in the course of cyclical time. And these uh, catastrophic events, uh, they're called prolias or devastations, occur at different intervals. You you could say there are cycles within cycles within cycles. So some of the uh, cycles are millions of years long, some are hundreds of millions of years long, some are billions of years long. And during the devastations that take place, on different scales within these different cycles. Yes, human beings can temporarily disappear from the earth to be, which is repopulated after the uh, devastations that take place. Sort of like you could say if you have your information from your devices in the cloud, so to speak. If your phone or computer or tablet is destroyed, you you can get another one and download your information, your files and pictures and everything from, from the cloud. So that information about Uh, the generation of the human species is always there you could say in 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 the cloud and when a devastation takes place on this planet they can you know the the information and the resources necessary to uh, bring back the human form are still there So in that way, nothing really ever goes extinct. I would say the dinosaurs aren't extinct. I I would say, according to the Vedic cosmology, the body plan for Tyrannosaurus Rex is still there. It's just that there isn't a soul at the present moment that has the karma for a Tyrannosaurus Rex body, but if there were such a soul on this planet, that form would be made available to it. It's kind of like a Jurassic Park in the sky sort of thing. Hmm.
0: The ha, Have discoveries such as uh, Gobekli Tepe, the ruins of a civilization we knew nothing about, Uh, that goes back at least 10,000 years in Turkey uh, not so long ago, has that helped your cause at all as far as getting mainstream science, which cannot deny the discovery uh, to uh, have uh, more open minds about what you've been saying?
2: Uh, Yes, in some ways, of course, that's dealing with one end of the time spectrum. I'm Kind of mostly dealing with deep time, mm. you know, going back much further than modern science would allow. But uh, the significance of Gobekli teple is that I I've seen dates for it going back to about thirteen thousand years, and at gobekli tepe they have massive stone columns covered with carvings of animals and geometric forms and symbols and things like that it's kind of like a, a, a stonehenge type of monument which according to the standard conceptions of archaeologists didn't really appear until maybe five or six thousand, maybe seven thousand years ago. So this was kind of pushing the origin of megalithic stone structures back several thousand years beyond the limits that had, current, that had previously been accepted. So that's progress, I would say. It, it's going in the right direction, pushing the origin of civilization marginally further back in time. But I think uh, these baby steps are just the beginning and they have a lot further to go before they arrive at the real truth. Okay. Do you think they ever will? Well, I was going to say that too that science operates on the principle that they aren't giving an absolute truth like in archeology, span all they can really say is not that we have a picture, a real picture, as if a time machine transported us back, you know, millions of years ago or thousands of years ago. They operate strictly in the present. And from all they can really say is from The best discoveries that we've made, analyzed and evaluated by our best people that we have at this moment, using the best theoretical systems that we have, we can conclude that, you know, Gobekli Tepe is, represents this or that. In light of future discoveries, it may all, it may all change. So if they're really honest about their methodology, they would, they would and they do admit that uh, they're, they're not presenting a, a, a picture of the past as if they have some kind of time machine. It's just from the fragmentary remains that they encounter today, they analyze what happened.
0: Mm. Okay. One of the issues, Michael, that has come up in our research is that um, if, if a human as we know, humans today were to exist in, uh, say, Permian times, you know, way, way, way back, and even in times when the dinosaurs uh, walked the earth, that the uh, atmosphere at the time, judging from experiments, it would have been toxic to us. How would you respond to that? Well,
2: I mean, that's a, a deep topic the uh, there, there have been a lot of geological studies going on about the formation of the Earth's atmosphere, particularly its oxygen content. Uh, there are different kinds of formations that exist in the layers of the earth that are taken by geologists as... Signs of oxidation, which means there has to be oxygen, you know, like iron deposits, for example, you know, red earths and things like that. But again, if they or anyone who looks at this, these kinds of studies is really honest, they're going to admit that while we're making inferences about the past, we don't have direct access to the earth in the Permian or earlier, going back even further. Uh, We don't have direct access and experience to that. All we can do is say, according to our best current understandings, according to the evidence that we've now accumulated, evaluated it according to our best theories, we conclude that this or that was the situation with the Earth's atmosphere. But it can't be honestly presented as absolute fact
0: okay now you recently uh, produced another book uh, what is the next step for you where do you go from here in your research well you know
2: it's a it's a long voyage you know you go from I mean I, I go from stones and bones to consciousness and the paranormal to the origin of the universe because that's where these things lead, they're all connected so what I'm involved in now is cosmology I'm involved with a project in India it's called the Temple of the Vedic Planetarium which is meant to present to the general public the concepts underlying the cosmology of ancient India, which involves things like multi-universes. Mm. I mean, this is something that's been uh, talked about in science just in recent years, the idea of a multi multiverse or... The idea that there are many universes existing at the same time. So that's something I've gotten into recently. And and um, beyond that, there are the questions related to consciousness, because the Vedic cosmology is consciousness based rather than uh, matter based and that involves ideas like simulated realities uh, you know some scientists are actually beginning to wonder are, are we in a simulated world and uh, the progress in and that, that people are making and developing virtual reality systems is giving many scientists a new way of considering you know, the questions related to dualism, for example. And they're beginning to see how you could, you could have a, like when you're in a virtual reality system, you know, you, you, know, you put on some uh, device that projects your mind into an avatar, a form of yourself that exists in a virtual reality, and you function in that reality. But your consciousness is not coming from that reality. It's coming from outside the system and it's being channeled into it. So this idea of simulated worlds and virtual realities is offering many scientists a new way of understanding things in which some concepts that have been up to this moment dismissed and set aside as not very credible, are suddenly becoming more credible.
0: Indeed. We've done shows on the holographic theory and mentioned it in one of our books, certainly as uh, something that parallels our own work in uh, the paranormal and we have, uh, or a high strangeness, perhaps a more acceptable term these days, uh, that had to do with um, many of the things that I ran into that indicated the, the presence of parallel worlds or realities or universes, as you say. So uh, tell us about the uh, the institute you work with. Is that in, in California-based, Dr. Um, Vedanta Institute? Uh,
2: the Dr. Vedanta Institute has its main office now in Gainesville, Florida, It's called the Bhaktivedanta Institute for Higher Studies. I'm on its advisory board and I participate in its activities. It was co-sponsor of a conference on Vedic cosmology that took place near Bombay in India recently. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I went to India to attend that conference. And some of uh, the leading astrophysicists and uh, historians of astronomy in India attended this conference. And it was very exciting to participate in and talk about these things among people who specialize in, in it. So... Um, so the Bhaktivedanta Institute was involved in that basically the institute was set up by my guru I'm a disciple of Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada who came to the west from India in the 1960s so he he founded this institute to encourage uh, people to study the connections between the Vedas, the, the books of knowledge of ancient India, and modern scientific concepts. So, yes, okay. I'm All right. associated with that. So give us your website one more time. mcremo.com, mcrem
0: uh, Ben, do you have any final thoughts?
1: Um, n- no, I well, sort of. I guess I do. Uh, I, think, I think you're addressing a really important uh, problem, um, which is the problem of postmodernism, uh, which is, if to, to make it very brief because we're running out of time, we've kind of hit a wall. I believe, at least in our post-postmodern society, where we've thrown out so much that we're kind of left with, well, what do we have now, right? So, I mean, uh, it doesn't it doesn't bother me, but it makes a lot of sense that that modern um, sort of philosophers, scientists, sort of adopt the holographic theory because it makes sense. Because we we like the idea of technology being the way forward. We like the idea of of a- ascending. Or transcending um, our, our human nature through technology, we love that. That's why the idea of UFOs and aliens taking interest in us is so 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 awesome. Because it's like great, cool. We can use technology to finally get beyond the human experience. But if there's one thing that's remained constant throughout human history, is the human experience has not changed. It stayed exactly the same, <laughs> despite how how we have you know iPhones and, and technology and, and all of that. And that's kind of my, my final thought on that.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you that modern technology, you know, iPhones and things like that, I believe, are our attempt to duplicate abilities that people naturally have mm, yeah. like remote viewing you know, the ability to see things at a distance telepathic communication and things like that uh, I think our much more modern technology is our crude attempt to duplicate those things in a way that can be used to control and exploit people for profit Mm.
0: Uh, (laughs) well uh, we're out of time Michael thank you so much for being with us it was a great pleasure and an honor and a great show and uh, we'll um, be in touch uh, off the air so Ben why don't you take us away here with our announcement
1: sure thing and uh, i guess we'll we'll hop into the first thing which is you can look for us at the New England Parafest in Kittery Maine that's on April 22nd and 23rd 2023 uh that event will kick off the week uh before that on our show that's April 16th uh when the event headliners will appear with us live
0: and we'll be at the Para Expo 2023 aboard the USS Salem in Quincy Massachusetts May 19th, 21st, will be among the speakers and will broadcast live from the ship on Sunday, May 21st. Other events for 2023 so far for which we or I will be present include the Exeter UFO
1: Festival in September and the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. And you can visit our show website, that's BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON, AM, and FM. Also, and you can, oh, I'm sorry, Ben. Also, you can hear many of these broadcasts on your major podcast platforms, up to and including Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify.
0: And uh, you get uh, our show app is free at com, And uh, you can pick up the recorded shows from there. So
1: what do we have next week, Ben? Well, next weekend, uh, that is uh, November 27th, we'll welcome back British UFO researcher Gary Hesseltine to cue us in on the latest when it comes to UFO disclosure.
0: And we have a thought today from the uh, that old sweetheart Albert Einstein. Do not grow old, no matter how long you live. Never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery into which we were born. And a very happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners this week. I'm Paul Eno.
1: And I'm Ben Eno. And Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And We shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now well, for another uh, edition okay. of
0: Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.